Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. The world needs to hear your message and your story, so don't deny the world of that gift within you that the universe has given you. Someone out there needs to hear your story because it will support them in feeling hope, inspired, and even transformed. Do you want to discover how I help get my clients out of their own way, show up, and confidently share their message? I would love to extend an invitation to you to join me in my free masterclass, Start Your Own Podcast from Idea to Implementation, on Wednesday, April 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can find the registry link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Holly Strelzik. She is the owner and founder of the nonprofit Center for Heart. She's a certified advanced grief recovery method specialist, an end-of-life doula, a wife, and certainly last, and last but certainly not least, a mother. Welcome, Holly. I am so happy to finally have you here. It's wonderful to be able to have this opportunity to sit down and chat with you. How are you doing today? Oh, you make me smile. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good thing. I like that. (laughs) I'm doing well. I'm peaceful. I am peaceful. Beautiful. And that's important. So I am so excited to have you here and I'm really looking forward to jumping in. So with that being said, let's get started. So as mentioned, you have a whole host or list of titles, shall we call them? I'm doing air quotes there. Now, you are one hell of a busy woman. That is a lot of hats that you wear and quite an extensive resume. So first off, I'd like to know how on earth do you find the time for all of this, Holly? And how important is prioritization and organization to you in order to stay on top of things? Oh my goodness. Well, there's so many things that go on throughout the day. I do. I'm an early riser and Uh that's, that's the time that I use to really ground myself have a clear head, physically take care of myself, and then go through the lists. And very thankful that I have a great staff that can Mm -hmm. take a lot of the load, a lot of very, very technical aspects of the business. But it's important to me to be able to keep the lists going, understand who's doing what, and then at the same time, just letting it go and trusting that that it's all getting done by these amazing people that are working with me for this incredible effort that we're trying to do, you know? Yes, trust and allow. Yeah, absolutely (laughs) trust and allow. And not to worry that if something doesn't go the way that I think it should go, then that's okay because the next best thing is right around the corner. And I really believe that. Really believe that. Beautiful. Just let it go. Let any expectation detach from the outcome. Yeah. Love (laughs) it. So I'm really curious then, Holly, with you wearing so many hats and dealing with all that you deal with, what does your morning routine look like? Oh, I'm an early riser. It's 5.30, 6 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And I love going out and feeding the birds first thing in the morning, talking to them, talking to the trees, putting water in their bowls. And then I have a physical practice that I do, and it, it's a yoga practice. But sometimes my body isn't there or that's not what I need. And it's then maybe it is reading some of these very impactful books that I have that really 
remind me of the space that we're all in in this world. And that would be my grounding. And then I start the day. Then, you know, it's getting dressed. Then it's starting with the seven o'clock meeting or the eight o'clock meeting or whatever is going on and waiting for my husband to wake up because Mm -hmm. he has Alzheimer's and being present for him. So it's making sure that he, you know, has everything that he needs, whatever it is, and Mm -hmm. being able to pop in and out of my office in the house and seeing him and being engaged with him, because that really is my top priority is to make sure that we are maximizing our time together for the time that he remembers where I am, who I am, and that I'm here. So that's a juggling act. I'm sure. You know, there's a lot of days when there's so much on my plate from the work, you know, that's when I really have to let it go and utilize all of my resources, whether it's the individuals that are helping me or just, you know, quickly sending out information saying, okay, need to clear the calendar today. He's not in a good spot, Mm. but that's what the mornings look. And, and, you know, I've started walking the dogs now again, that the weather is beautiful. They're very happy about that. (laughs) I'm sure they are. But this, all of this, Holly speaks to who you are as a business owner, who you are as a wife, who you are as a human being, a woman, the fact that you're able to realize, have that self-awareness that, you know what, this is what needs to come first. Jonathan is what needs to come first. My husband needs to come first because his well-being and the time I get to spend with him is top priority. And the business stuff, that will wait. It's not going to go anywhere and it will get done because you have a team behind you. So I applaud you for that self-awareness because a lot of people don't have that self-awareness. So that speaks volumes as to who you are as a human being a woman, a business owner, a wife, all of these things, truly. I admire you and you inspire me, Holly. Thank you. Thank you, Brad. You know, it's, it really is something that took years to develop Mm -hmm. and based on a lot of, uh, you know, trauma and drama that's happened in my life. (laughs) Yeah. And back then realizing that, you know what, I am not in control of this. I can only put my best foot forward and do my best And regardless of how painful or tragic the events might have been, just to be able to be like, okay, this is happening. Yeah. And now we're going to, we're going to shift and do something different. Yeah. Knowing that it's, that it is really okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Might not be what we're, what we're planning on, but it always, always pans out for the best. And that's why I I don't get tied to any craziness or getting wrapped up in a frenzy because it just doesn't serve me. And if I'm not at the top of my game, I definitely can't be there for him. Exactly. So let's speak a little bit about Center for the Heart. How long ago did you start Center for the Heart? And what was the inspiration behind starting the business? (laughs) Well, All right. So I had a LLC for about six years. Um, It was called Healing Heart to Heart. And prior to that, I was doing a lot of hospice work. I, after I had my brain aneurysm, it was truly a calling to be able to go in and just be there and provide support, however it looked, for those individuals that were dying or terminally ill but that was the crux of it. And that was about 12 years ago. And so I just continued doing volunteer work in a lot of homes in a lot of nursing homes and a lot of senior facilities in the hospitals and being present for death quite often. And I've seen some beautiful deaths. I've seen some ugly deaths, but each one of them was sacred. As time developed, 
came across just some amazing trainings. And the one that, that really was the turning corner for me was called The Art of Dying. And that comes out of New York City. And that was something that just really started to pull the idea of, yes, you know what, you can do this. You, you can do this and perhaps maybe you'll get paid. So I formed Healing Heart to Heart and just worked it. You know, I come from corporate America, so I understand how important the balance is between being a professional and being truly your authentic self. But I was still nervous and I wasn't quite sure about it. And so I I just started networking and working with a lot of different hospital systems here in New Jersey. And I was asked to be the end-of-life doula for the medical aid and dying clients. And that was right at COVID right when COVID hit. Oh, wow. <laughs> Literally. But you know what? We were going to move forward with it because, you know, this was something that individuals really wanted and needed support. Literally a couple of weeks later, my husband was diagnosed. Oh, man. And that shut me down. It was now time to just really care for myself. And so I did. COVID had happened. The whole house was full of, of children and dogs and, and cooking. <laughs> all and, the things. Yeah, right. And all the things. And at the same time, we were trying to really navigate him because his, his symptoms were getting very, very pronounced. So as time went on, my husband's name is Jonathan. He was very aware of what was happening to him. And he became very philanthropic and started donating money to different Alzheimer's causes. So that was, you know, during the years of COVID and he and I had decided we were going to have a big fundraiser for Alzheimer's. But in order to do that, I needed to have a nonprofit. Now the nonprofit was something that was always in the distance. It was always going to be, okay, when I have the energy to fill out those forms, <laughs> Right. We're going to do this. But because we were having the fundraiser, it was, okay, now's the time. So I started working with a gentleman. He has been instrumental in making this whole process move forward. And we, we formed the corporation for a center for the heart in November of last year, November of 22, 1111. That's a lucky mm. number, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we have been going full force since then. And that has been developing the programs to take into the hospitals, take into the senior facilities, take into the nursing homes. So we're full throttle right now. We've brought on, oh my goodness, I think we're getting ready to onboard 20 doulas. Wow. And yeah. This is all in New Jersey. And this is where I want to start. I want to perfect the system here and yeah. then hopefully move forward, move into different states, you know, maybe my surrounding area, but I really want to be able to move into the very rural areas as well, because at the end of the day, there's not services there. And there's a lot of people who are dying alone. And, and that's just, a horrible, horrible yeah. thing. Yeah. So that's how Center of the Heart came about. It was and so Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, Holly. No, I was just going to say it was always the vision. And this is something I just want to say is yeah. ever since I was a little girl, there's always been a vision that would pop up. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know, you know how I would possibly get there, but this was one of them. And when the time came, it just felt right. And that's a big thing that I've really honed in on is my intuition and really going with it. Yeah. Because now, 
You know, I call it my peaceful place. And I believe that an individual can only tell what that is. I can't say it to someone. I can't say, you know, this is your peaceful spot or think of this, think of the ocean. No, it's none of that. It's, it is what is inside and only the individual can determine what that is. I was lucky enough to find mine and it happened through the grief work that I did, you know, when we first understood Jonathan's diagnosis. It was just part of that process. And I have to say that that has been a blessing. Yeah. Cause I mean, grief doesn't just mean loss of life. I mean, grief can be loss of a person as they once were. You could grieve over losing a marriage, a friendship, a relationship. There's so many, a pet, oh, like there's yeah. so many different things, right? Yeah. It doesn't just get defined by that one thing of loss of life. Right. Right. Absolutely. So it's important that we recognize that too. Yeah. Now, I'm curious, what were you doing for a living before you made the jump into this world and the world of entrepreneurship? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I was living the life in New York City. <laughs> <laughs> I was the chief of staff to the head of the New York Bank for Citibank, which was a big job. 4,500 employees, you know, the corporate jet, the limousine, the whole wow. thing. Wow. A very different life, a very different life. I was much younger and had the stamina for it, but it was exciting and taught me a lot. I worked with an individual from Belgium that really, he has shaped a lot of my business sense and the way I interact with employees. Because at the end of the day, you know, I believe that individuals must be seen and heard just as anything else. Yeah. And if they're happy, then the customers are happy then there's always a better bottom line. And that's not a greed statement. That's a statement of bringing fruitfulness uh -huh. and discovery and awareness to people where they can all be their best. So that's what I did. I mean, it was a very high pressured, you know, a lot of I'm activity. Sure. Yeah. But when we moved out to the suburbs and the children were two and four, that's when I stopped working. And I have to say that that was very difficult. That was a huge grief for me as well. Yeah, you I'm know? sure. I mean, you would think that because there's still corporations out there who don't realize that if you treat your employees well, treat them fairly, they will want to work that much harder for you, which will then, of course, as you said, make the clients or customers happier which again will affect the bottom line, which everybody yeah. wins. And there's so many corporations that still can't grasp that concept. It boggles yeah. my mind. It's a very simple concept. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. And yes. yet so many corporations struggle to grasp that concept. Well, hopefully that's going to shift soon. Yeah. Well, all we can do is do that in our own businesses when That's we right. are at that point where we do have employees like yourself, you treat your employees well, it benefits everybody. Everybody wins. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to speak with you a little bit specifically about the whole end of life doula grief recovery world. First of all, I've never heard of that end of life doula term before. So why that term? And secondly, why did you decide to focus your energy and business on helping people who are going through or dealing with grief in their lives? And thirdly, did your journey into this world begin through your own personal struggles? Yes, it came from my own personal struggles. I have always been a type of, quote, caregiver. 
but I never real, you know, I was buzzing around like a bee, you know, either working in the city, coming home, you know, now in the suburbs, you know, working in all sorts of different volunteer heading committees, et cetera, et cetera. Well, here's the story. So about six years into moving out to the suburbs and being somewhat still, I started having flashbacks to sexual abuse and that came out of left field. It was fascinating that my body and my brain could house that all of my life because the flashback scenario started when I was five and they lasted until I was 15. Jeez. Yeah. And so, you know, I started going through this and, you know, was in intensive therapy and just working it. But, you know, I was comatose. It was very, very difficult. I had an amazing therapist. And then a couple of years later is when I had the brain aneurysm. And interestingly enough, I said to the neurologist, I said, so does this have anything to do with the flashbacks? And he said, no. I'm like, well, you know that that's baloney. (laughs) That's a load of bullshit. (laughs) Right, right. Exactly. So, you know, it took a long time to heal physically. Uh And it was interesting because the flashbacks were squelched while I was physically healing, but getting over the hump to be able to sit in a car and go for a ride or walk into a store or be in a room where the TV was on or have a conversation with someone, I couldn't do it. A lot of, you know, occupational therapies, a lot of, you know, I was in and out of the hospital. I can't even tell you how many times, but every time I would go in, there would be different volunteers or staff members of the hospital that were like either Reiki practitioners or, you know, doing other types of modalities that they were just present and there to help heal. And I knew that I needed to be doing that because of everything everyone had done for me. I mean, it it was very traumatic and it took a long time to heal. You know, it took a good four years before I was really back to my whole self. And then, of course, the flashback started back again. And so, you know, I was going through all of that, but it was not as intense. And it was almost like been there, done that. I was like, okay, I can get through this because I survived all those others, you know. So as I started to really heal on all ends, I went into the hospital, started volunteering. The hospice for the Mm -hmm. hospital system picked me up. They trained me in Reiki. It resonated. I had never done it or known about it all of my life. It resonated. And I just went full throttle with that as well and became a Reiki master. And as they would send me out to the different homes and the different long-term clients that I ended up having that were amazing, it just became something that I needed to do. I've sat with death so many times personally, but also with all of these individuals and had the ability of being calm and grounded and supportive for the families there of the individuals and then just continued my training. And you know what, Brad, I've, I've like <laughs> lost my train of thought. So, <laughs> so am I answering the question? <laughs> yes, you are answering of your personal struggles, but why did you decide to focus your energy and business on helping those people who are going through or dealing with grief? Because, because when I realized that there aren't many of us out there, there's not many people who can sit with death. 
Very true. And that I was comfortable and I was, quote, okay. And that doesn't mean that I didn't feel. Of course I felt every time, you know, the the mother, the 36-year-old mother who has three little children who is taking her last breath. I mean, that is painful to watch yeah. for the children, but a beautiful experience for the mother as she exited. I cannot even begin to describe what I would see and what they would talk to me about, you know, the ones that could actually speak. Yeah. But to be able to just coach them because you know what? Death is just like a birth. You know, there's that the mother is trying to push the baby out. The baby's trying to come out. That's what death is like. Okay. Mm -hmm. The family is rallying around the individual dying. The individual who is dying is trying to die is the body has its natural process. And, you know, it takes a while, you know, you think about the different signs of death and, you know, first it's the muddling of the limbs and, you know, they're not eating and their breath becomes rattled. Well, those are the physical signs. All right. And it's not easy. It doesn't mean that they're in pain, but it's a transition. So, Whatever life force is in them, whether, you know, we believe it's the soul or whatever it is, it has to leave. Yeah. And in order for it to leave, it needs peace and support, just like trying to catch that baby coming out of the mother's body. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I've watched a lot of births, which are completely amazing. And that's what death has been for me. Watching these people pass, trying to soothe and let the family members or any loved ones understand and be at peace and come to whatever resolutions that they have. But what I know is that the families that are surrounding their loved ones as they die and can be an active participant in the process, their grief is less. Because they are able to really, you know, and I don't like to use the word closure, but they're really, they're, you know, hopefully conversations are happening. Yeah. Hopefully they're saying whatever that they need to say. You know, maybe not all the answers are given, but, you know, they're able to speak their voice. Hopefully that they're able to, you know, if it's a spouse, give him one last shave, wipe his brow, be there. Be yeah. There. Be present. Oh, Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so for me, I love the work. I love Mm -hmm. the work. It is sacred and it's an honor to be there. Absolutely. I could see that. And it takes a certain kind of person to do that kind of work. Absolutely. Yeah. For sure. How have these experiences helped shape the Holly you are today, both personally and professionally, do you think? Oh, my gosh. Well, these are where the tears started when I was reading. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Brad, it's been, well, okay. So I was raised Roman Catholic. They sent Uh me to a convent to be a nun. That was a funny thing because (laughs) if you remember the flying nun, the little series. Yeah. Yep. That was me. (laughs) (laughs) I ended up marrying an incredible Jewish man. And basically at the end of the day, if I'm pegged into any religion, it would be Buddhist. I have respect for all of these religions, but I know what I know. And whether it's it's a gift or whether it's just, it's a knowing, is a knowing. And being able to 
take every single one of my patients. They've gifted me with something different. And I can't even tell you how many there are, but their words, their gestures for the ones that couldn't speak, their their gentle kindness is I just saw myself as a conduit to whatever they needed to create the peace and to be able to leave this world in a very, in a very peaceful way. I use that word peace a lot, but it's, it's really the only one. And, you know, if I was a little bit smarter and a little bit more educated, there's probably other words. No, I think that word sums it up very well. It, It works perfectly. So my experience now with Jonathan is everything that I've learned throughout my journey, my own very personal journey with the flashbacks, the aneurysm, mm-hmm. the brain issues. And now with him, patience has become my friend. And I wasn't a very patient person. And it's funny what you ask for, because I always used to say, dear God, please help me be more a patient person. Well, <laughs> here you go. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> so I'm very careful now what I ask for. <laughs> yes. And we we can all learn that lesson. Be very, very careful what you ask for, because you just might get it. Right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so then would you say that patience has been your biggest or most valuable lesson or what has been your biggest or most valuable lesson or takeaway? Okay. So I think that the patience is tremendous mm-hmm. because, you know, there's always the chatty little mind that goes on and says, well, you know, it's going to be okay. You just need to take a breath. You know, I'm going on, on and on and on in my head about maybe a loved one who's just pining and pining, but learning that everyone is at a different stage of their own journey. It's not my job to judge at all. It's just to be there and basically kind of being on boule. You know what? Mm-hmm. I'm holding the ropes. I'm holding the ropes. I'm here to keep you safe. But whatever direction you want to go, if you want to jump off that 75-foot pole or if you don't want to jump off the 75-foot pole, I've got your back. Yeah. And it's just allowed me the space to be okay and to take judgment out of it and be very patient. Love it. Now, I want to talk some more about grief. As you well know, and I do as well, it's a very, very tough road to navigate. And everyone deals with and navigates that road differently. What are a couple of suggestions or tools you have in your tool belt that you could recommend to people listening if they're going through their own grief struggles right now that they can implement immediately to start helping themselves through get through that process? You know, I think the first thing is the awareness that it is grief, that that an individual has suffered a loss, whatever the loss is, whether it's a loss of a relationship, a death of someone they loved a loss of trust, a loss of, you know, security, you know, it can be anything, a loss of body image, but it's to know that there's a pain there that's, that's caused. And then to be really gentle with yourself, to be honest with what you're feeling. So if you're feeling sad or if you're feeling angry, or if you're feeling, you know, anxious or fearful, whatever it is, just recognizing it and being okay with it. Do not judge yourself. The first individual that you need to be compassionate to is yourself. Mm -hmm. A lot of love and compassion. Okay. So 
and immediate things that they can do because it can be very painful. I mean, yeah. you know, we know that grief is like someone has taken a knife and gutted you, right? Yeah, for sure. And whatever it is that soothes your soul. So for me, when I'm in my darkest side of the soul, it's being in the earth, meaning, you know, raking, planting, pruning, you know, just being outside. And I spend a lot of time reading and listening to nothing but positive things. And it's not to shift or to take away, oh, these are negative thoughts. That's not it. It's to let your brain create the waves of like, you know what? We can sit with both. We can sit with beauty and we can also sit with the pain. Yeah. And knowing that those two, they exist both inside of us all the time. Yeah. yeah you can't have one without the other. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And, you know, there's a lot of individuals that don't know don't understand that there's so many myths out there about grief, you know, oh, you need to keep busy. Oh, you need to be strong. Oh, you know, let's just replace the loss. Oh, the dog died. Let's just get another one tomorrow. No, what that does is it just buries the grief. Yeah. It puts a bandaid over a bullet mm -hmm. hole. And what happens is it, imagine a backpack, you know, imagine yeah. you have a backpack when you're born and you have tiny pebbles that are going in, you know, oh, they took the bottle away from me. Oh, you know, there's a little pebble and mm -hmm. life goes on. And by the time, you know, by the time some individuals are 15 years old, they have boulders in their backpack. Yeah. Yeah. And one more thing is going to be that breaking point that that breaking point I refer to is, you know, God forbid, a suicidal state or, you know, any type of addiction, but it's so important for individuals to really understand none of those things, those myths are helpful. And the people in our life that want to help us and say things like, you're so strong. Oh, you know what? <laughs> At least they lived until they were 95. Well, that doesn't help. <laughs> right? Yeah. Come on. Exactly. You know, exactly. pain is pain is pain. That's right. Oh, Learn that you need to kind of set a boundary with those individuals, not that they're being mean, not that they're trying to hurt you in any way. They're doing the best because of what they were taught about grief. Yeah, exactly. Okay? So that, that's another thing is, is really protect yourself, create mm -hmm. your boundaries. And then I think, you know, there's all sorts of grief support and grief groups and, and some of them are amazing. And then there's the therapists that are always wonderful. However, the individuals grieving need to decide what it is that they're looking for the most. Are they looking for just to relieve the pain? Are they looking for some sort of closure? What are they looking for? And then start their search because we're going to experience grief until the day we die. And it yeah. could be as small as like, oh, well, you know, loss of money. What happens when the market crashes and everybody loses everything? Yeah. They're going off the deep end. Yep. Very true. So 100%. those are some of the tips that I have. Okay. I, you know, I really notice now, especially with the younger generations coming up and the shootings and all of this stuff going, I mean, think about it. Those mm -hmm. poor kids, yeah. you know, are being raised however they're being raised and it doesn't matter how much money you have or you don't have. No, that you know, has it's no just, bearing. It's the messages. So, you know, this is a whole other conversation, but there's so much that goes into forming our younger generations now. And 
with my grandson, I really, I really am trying to make sure that he understands who he is and the power that he has to heal himself and to be okay. Yeah. Now, this is a great segue into this next question you mentioned about what people say. And I know through experience, and you just mentioned you do as well, people for the most part, they really don't have a clue what to say to those who are going through and dealing with grief. And again, that's no fault of their own. It's how they were brought up or raised. And they end up saying the wrong thing, putting their foot in their mouth, saying stupid shit. So what words of wisdom or advice do you have for those people out there who maybe don't know what to say or end up saying the wrong things? Yeah. Yeah. For me, there really is nothing that you can say that's going to help the person grieving. What I say is that I'm holding you in my heart because that is a message of, I see you and I hear you and I'm just holding you. Mm -hmm. If it's a physical encounter, I just hug the person. You know, again, there's no words, even I'm sorry, because the individual who's suffered the loss sometimes we'll say, oh, it's okay. You don't have to be, you know, and you don't want to put that on them. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. You just want them to know that you are there. It's interesting because when I started going through the flashbacks, the grief was tremendous because it was a life that I thought that I had that I never had. Right. And I delved into two books. One was Joan Didion. Do you know her? No, I don't. An amazing author. She wrote My Year of Magical Thinking. Okay. And that it was as if she knew me and she was sitting right next to me. She knew everything that I was going through. And another one was a Quaker little prayer book. You know, those little tiny, tiny little books that you can pick up at a drugstore or something. But in there, this reverend talked about just going into the room, wherever the person is, and just sitting there and just bring them tea or bring them water. You don't have to say a word. It's just that you're there, that you support them, you see them. And I think that that's, I think that's the most effective. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. It's important because a lot of people don't know what to say to people who are going through and dealing with grief. So they end up saying stupid shit for the most part. So, and you can't, again, you can't fault them because what do you say, you know? So thank you for sharing that. I think that's really a a very important discussion that needs to be had. So thank you. Yes, totally. Holly, what lights you up or inspires you, or do you love the most about the work that you do? Oh my gosh. Well, for the end of life work, I truly, again, I talk about it being so sacred Uh and it is, is to be able to be physically there And, oh my gosh, just holding them, stroking them, bathing them, and then honoring whatever ritual or ceremony that the family wanted or the individual that's dying, because that's part of our process is for them to discuss their wants and their needs of how they want it to look. How do you want it to look at the end of the life? And to be able to honor that is, it's precious. It's It's, you know, sacred is the word Uh that lights me up. Uh And with the grief work, when individuals that I'm working with, it's almost like a light bulb goes off 
Mm-hmm. When they're aware, they're very aware of the pain that they're in. But as we work through some of, okay, let's talk about, you know, what you were taught as an individual and let's talk about the myths and the misinformation and, you know, some of the behaviors that you've had all through your life just to deal with your grief. And it's like, oh, wow, check this out. If I would have known this, then it would have been a, a more faster track to yeah. get to the end or the, quote, completion of the grief. Because when I talk about completion, it's about resolving any of the emotional statements that cause us to want more, better, or different when the loss occurs. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So when I'm working with the grief clients and for them to say, oh my God, thank you so much. I've never thought about that. I feel the shift in my body. It's so nice to be able to to really help people. I mean, it's just like, God. Be someone's lighthouse. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. You know, and and really, you know, Brad, I'm saying all this and I'm and I'm not anything special. I'm not. I'm just, but you are you. Your own kind of special yeah, because no I, one else I, I is am you. My own, I am my own kind of special, but it's not coming from an egotistical. Yeah, just, exactly. I really sometimes just feel like a channel. It's just who you are. Yeah, it's just part of your DNA. <laughs> yeah. So on the flip side of that, then, what would you say is one of the most challenging parts about the work that you do? Oh my God, the family members. <laughs> 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 that didn't take much thought. At no, all. <laughs> it didn't. You know what? I tell you, Brad, it's it's kind of comical. You know, now I'm 61 years old. And so when the children come into the mm-hmm. room, a lot of the children are my age or older. And can I tell you, it's as if I'm in a room with a bunch of five and seven and eight, nine-year-olds. <laughs> there's cat fights, there's zingers, there's, you know, all of their past baggage comes up and to be able to just listen, validate everybody's needs, wants, complaints, scenarios, whatever it is, and then to kind of just pull it all in order and say, okay, I hear every single one of you, but it's really about mom right now. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. You know, so, so that's a challenge. That's a big challenge. I'm sure. <laughs> what is one piece of advice you have for someone who's just starting the grieving process and maybe they're not in counseling or not ready for counseling yet? In our society, grief is not looked as normal and natural. So for an individual to really realize that, yes, they are normal, this is normal behavior, These are normal feelings of a huge loss in your life. And we can't judge those losses. Those losses, they're very individual, but the pain is their pain. For them to be aware that, okay, this is happening now. I need help because they do. Because like I said, I'm going to go back to that backpack. If these grief feelings, emotions, incomplete grief is not brought to some sort of enlightenment awareness, and some sort of completion, it's just going to compile. Then depression's going to set in. Then they're on drugs. Then they can't function. Then they can never think straight. You know, it just becomes this cascading effect. So awareness is key and being open and being okay with their world around them. If they want to point fingers, if they want to judge, if they want to say, oh, suck it up, you know, 
Those are the individuals that need to step aside. Yeah. Everything is very specific to a certain individual because, you know, we don't know where, you know, what their support system looks like. We don't know what kind of dynamics they grew up in their family. We don't know, you know, so there's a lot, let me tell you, it's surprising to me that so many do not understand what really they're going through. Yeah. You know, like the mother who wants to send the child off to, you know, uh, a residential treatment center because there's bad behavior. What happened in the child's yeah, life? Yeah, what oh, started well, the bad behavior? Well, right. Well, let's see. The dad has a terminal illness since he was 25 years old. So she was born into a family where he was terminal. And then the mother had major health issues and she was in the hospital for years. And then the grandmother died who was taking care of him. And then the sister, you know, da, 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 da. Mm, and yeah. it just goes on and on and on. And now the poor kid is 15 years old and just can't even think straight for herself. That's horrible. It is horrible. We need to take care of everybody, but we need to start taking care of those kids too. For sure. Because there's just too much unrest out there. What advice would you give someone wanting to pursue a career similar to yours? Oh, call me. We'll talk about it. (laughs) No, really. I mean, I get a lot of calls like that. And, you know, it's interesting because I'm bringing on all these doulas. They all come from different walks of life. Mm -hmm. Some are, you know, RNs, some are social workers, some are chaplains, some are because they experienced grandma and grandpa's death and were their caregivers for the last five years. And what they all have in common is that they can sit with death. Yeah. They can sit with death. So if you can sit with death, it's an amazing field to be in. And, you know, if we want to look at it practically, 75% of the population is 62 plus. Yeah. There's a lot of aging going on. Yeah. there will be a lot of work. That's for sure. (laughs) There's totally a lot of work. There won't be any shortage anytime soon. No, no. And again, on the practical side, you know, especially in the States, things are happening as far as trying to get doulas recognized. So insurance will cover us and, you know, insurance like health insurance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's all working. Yeah. But it's, it's an incredible field, but you have to really be comfortable with it. And you cannot be a sponge. You can be an empath. But yeah. you really have to be able to know what your boundaries are and and not I don't like to use the word protect, but but puff up yeah. your light. You know, puff up your light. Because when you walk into a room and these families are falling apart in their darkest hours, you're their light. Yeah, you have to be their light. That's your gig. They need yeah. that. So yeah. what do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful, Holly? Gosh. I mean, I talk about just finding that peace within, but I have to say, even since a kid, I just didn't take myself too seriously. I didn't get hung up in in everybody else's mishkosh. Uh, that's not the right way to say that, but in all the rest of everyone else's bullshit, you know, I yeah. was who I was. And again, it was like a knowing and I am able to... And this is recent, Brad. This is when the awareness of the flashbacks came, I changed. I went from being someone who was not grounded or present and literally lived dissociated on the ceiling always and thought that was normal to someone who is completely present and very comfortable in my skin. And I think that that, that's my superpower. I mean, I really, I'm I'm comfortable. I can walk into any arena and be very comfortable. 
Love it. That's a great skill set for sure. And so speaking of success, how do you define that word? What does the word success mean to you? For me, it is the creation of the center because my goal, I don't think I've ever even told you this. So my goal is to have homes. They're not hospices, although we'll have hospice if the individuals want them, but they're homes for people to go to die. And they're going to be nurturing, loving, beautiful, delicious food. But for these people, I don't care if you have a dime. I don't care if you are coming off the street. And I don't care if you're coming from Park Avenue. There's both out there. But to be able to have that space and for me to be able to create that. And again, Brad, I know I'm going to do it. I know it. I have no doubt that you will. And because I'm you just, have that, you have that drive to make it happen, and it's coming from your heart. You want to provide yeah. that for people who are in need. So I have no doubt you'll achieve it, none whatsoever. So that's that's my success. Okay. Um, that's my success. Can you share a situation that's occurred in your life that you feel provides insight as to your character, as to who Holly is? <sighs> Gosh, I mean, what stage of life should we go to? Um, (laughs) (laughs) All right, this is it. And this was, you know, my formation years. When I was 13, remember, we were raised in a very religious Catholic home. Yeah. My mother left and joined a cult. And I was the oldest daughter with three babies underneath me. And I just picked up meaning just picked up where she left off. And she was physically a great mother. Everything was fresh baked and everything was homemade and dinner on the table every night and the clothes were clean. And I just, I just kept on, I just kept on doing it. And I would create families with friends and the friends would come and the little children underneath me, I made sure that there were still the birthday parties. So I guess what it is, is to just really, hold together the safe space and be okay with it. And I was, I was really okay with it. Well, that speaks volumes as to the woman you are today. So thank you for sharing that. Thanks, Brad. Thanks for listening. Thanks for asking such great questions. (laughs) My pleasure. (laughs) What would you say then, Holly, is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? What was your life like after you learned it? I'm going to use the flashbacks again. So I lived a life of really buzzing like a bee. Thought it was normal. It was just who I was. I was erratic. I was impatient. I would have outbursts. I was afraid all the time now. And remember, you know, I was working in big jobs and the fear was overwhelming. I mean, literally it was like the hair on the back of my neck was standing up. Never really understood it. Never really understood why I didn't want to physically be around my dad. He was my abuser. And never understood why I genuinely did not feel love towards him. And it was almost as if he was just a person in my life, you know, just some random person. When the flashbacks came, I mean, it was truly a shock to every part of my system, my body, my mind, my soul. And I told you how difficult that was. Yeah. But as those flashbacks came through me, expelled, and it took a couple of years, it took a while, but 
on the other side of it, I was grounded and I was present. Oh, and another huge thing is with my children. I was afraid of my children and I never could understand that. And, you know, thank God for Jonathan. He's been just, he has been a rock through mm-hmm. us all, a rock, like an incredible rock. Thank God for him because, you know, they would have been truly even worse a muck than they were. Right. But when it all settled down and the dust settled, that's when I really came into my own. I worked really hard at it. I mean, I've done a lot of personal soulful work, but to be able to be in a spot now where I feel that I am completely in touch with my deepest part of my soul and feel very comfortable and and peaceful and authentic. I mean, Brad, let me tell you, if I was the old person, I would have never been able to have this conversation with you. You know, I just, it, would, it wouldn't have flowed. I would have, it just wouldn't have flowed. But this yeah. is me. This is me. On the other side of it. Yeah. Yeah. What does the best version of you look like when you close your eyes and imagine it? Oh my God, you're going to make me cry again. <laughs> Well, that's not my aim. But. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Tears are okay, though. So, you know, it's interesting because we were doing an exercise in one of our grief workshops, and this was one of the trainings. And we were asked to close our eyes and envision what was the first thing that popped into your head? Brad, you know, I here I am. I'm a grandmama. I have gray hair. And the first thing that popped into my head was me standing in this incredible garden with all of these children. And there were flowers everywhere and they were like laying in the flowers and smelling Mm -hmm. the flowers. And as I would go to one of them, they would say, I'm a gift from God. I'm a gift from God. And I mean, to tell you, it was incredible. Yeah. I just, that's where I see myself. That's how I see myself. I, I want sometimes, you know, and this is, this is a funny little thing, but you know, the, the finance people helping me with center for the heart, they're like, okay, Holly, you can't give everything away. We have a budget. This is a business. (laughs) I'm like, oh, okay. So what do I do on the sly? I'm helping people. They want to know why I'm so busy. I'm like, yeah, I got things. Well, see, <laughs> again, this just speaks to who you are as a person, Holly. So thank you for yes. sharing that. Thank you, Brad. What is an unexpected blessing or occurrence in your life that you're grateful for? So many. But you ask unexpected? Yeah. God, Brad. I mean, I'm just, honestly, I can list them. Well, <laughs> the abuse. Mm-hmm. You know, the kids, as they were really falling down. I mean, it was, these are tough times. Honestly, my health, I, I don't even kind of include that because, again, I just knew that I was going to be okay. It's like, okay, you know, we'll get through this. But had I not had the abuse experiences, had I not, you know, as a result, had the children that were really struggling, and now Jonathan and his disease, I feel so blessed to be able to do the work. Had I not gone through any of that, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing now. And you wouldn't be able to see these, all of these things as blessings, right? They would be seen as a curse. Yeah. 
exactly. because but because you've done the work, it's shifted your mindset and the way you look at things, and that is powerful and beautiful. Yeah. What aspect of your personality do you think has been the most helpful in your career? Being driven, you know, just driven. And I don't mean like a steamroller, although, you know, in my young career, they're like, you're nothing but a steamroller. (laughs) (laughs) But I truly believe that anything can be done. Anything can be accomplished. If you put your head to it, you can do it. You know, there's, there's a little story that a friend of mine, he was a pilot in Vietnam and he would tell the story of, you know, there'd be other pilots out there and he called them ducks or eagles. Uh The ducks were the ones was like, nope, I'm turning back. It's looking too bad out there. There's too many on the other side, et cetera, et cetera. The eagle is like, nope, we have to go in and we have to save. Those are the eagles. And I'm definitely an eagle. I love that analogy. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. What does the word empowerment mean to you? Oh my gosh. I think that it comes from within. I truly believe that. But a person has to find it. And empowerment is being wide open, being accepting, being truthful and honest and authentic and trusting and fearless. And fearless is is something that a person has to get to. It depends on, of course, their experiences, but fearless to know that you're going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's going to be people out there that judge and have a lot to say. They're on a different journey and that's okay. Let's just watch this like it's a movie. You are an empowered individual who can accomplish anything you set your mind to. (laughs) I love it. Hey, we're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions is just be one, two, three word answer type thing. Okay. Okay. (laughs) What was your dream job as a child? I was going to work in New York City in a tall building with an elevator. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) And I did. There you go. You achieved your dream job. Yeah. Only now you're probably living your dream job. Oh, yeah. 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 How would you describe yourself in one word? Gosh, Brad, one word? Mm-hmm. Loving. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be? My kindness. What never fails to make you laugh? <laughs> the hee haw song. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, my God. You're going to have to look that one up. I will, definitely. <laughs> and I will send it to you in Messenger <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> just to get you to laugh. If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? Trust yourself and know that you're going to be okay. What is your favorite self-care practice? Oh, man. I'm being outside. And that concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. (laughs) What challenge in your life has shaped you the most, Holly? Growing up in the house, I did. What is one lesson that your career has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their lives? It's a journey, but realizing how powerful you are being your true, authentic self. What's something surprising that you've learned about yourself in the past year? That I had so much patience. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good lesson. It truly is, Brad. (laughs) (laughs) If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one-hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? 
Mother Teresa, because although, again, I don't read everything or know everything, you know, I'm not one of these highly educated people, although I do have a degree, (laughs) but she, to me, was so giving of herself and so compassionate that I would love to hear her stories. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? You don't need to use food to soothe your sadness. Lastly, Holly, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, your tribe, your corner of the world, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? Not to repeat myself, but being able to find in yourself your peaceful, soulful, true being, trusting that that is you, trusting that you are a gift, a gift from the universe, a gift from God, whatever you believe, and then moving forward with love and compassion and kindness with boundaries. Beautiful. Holly, thank you so much for being here with me today, for taking and making the time to sit down and chat with me. It has been an absolute pleasure. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, Holly. And you are such an inspiring and beautiful, kind and gentle soul. I am so grateful to be able to call you a friend and to have you as a member of the Empowerography community. So thank you for being here with me today and for shining your bright, beautiful light out into the world through all of the amazingly beautiful work that you do. Thank you, Brett. It has been truly a pleasure. And yes, you've got tears in my eyes. <laughs> Again, not the point of it, but I it's know, okay. But it's it's all just good. beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you. My pleasure, Holly. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Holly Strelzik. She is the owner and founder of the nonprofit Center for Heart. She's also a certified advanced grief recovery method specialist, an end-of-life doula, a wife, and last but certainly not least, a mother. Thank you so much, Holly. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. Thank you, Brad. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca. Follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.